right, so we're going to talk about biological membranes. The cell or plasma membrane is often described as a semi-permeable phospholipid bilayer. Uh, this describes both function and structure of the cell membrane. As a semi-permeable barrier, it, it chooses which particles can enter and leave. And the selectivity is mediated not only by the various channels and carriers that poke holes in it, but also by the membrane itself. It has two um, layers of phospholipids, and it permits fat-soluble compounds to cross easily and larger and water-soluble compounds to seek alternative entry. And this is referred to as the fluid mosaic model. So the phospholipid bilayer also includes proteins in distinct signaling areas within lipid rafts. Carbohydrates, carbohydrates associated with the membrane-bound proteins creates a glycoprotein coat. The cell wall of plants, bacteria, and fungi contain higher levels of carbohydrates. The main function of the cell membrane is to protect the interior of the cell from the external environment, so they selectively regulate traffic into and out of it and are involved in both intracellular and extracellular, intra and intercellular communication and transport. They also have proteins embedded within it that act as cellular receptors during signal transduction. Uh, so here are the membrane dynamics. So it's a stable semi-solid barrier between the cytoplasm and the environment. It's in a constant state of flux on the molecular level, so the phospholipids move rapidly in the plane of the membrane through simple diffusion. When fusing two membranes that have been tagged with different labels, the tags will migrate with their associated lipids until both types are rapidly intermixed. Lipid rafts are collections of similar lipids with or without associated proteins that serve as attachment points for other biomolecules. These rafts often serve roles in signaling, so both lipid rafts and proteins are also going to travel within the plane of the membrane, but more slowly. Lipids can also move between the membrane layers, but this is energetically unfavorable because the polar hydrophospholipid must be forced through the non-polar tail region in the interior cell in, in the interior of the membrane. Specialized enzymes called flipases assist in the transition of the flip between layers. And then dynamic changes in the concentrations of various various membrane proteins are mediated by gene regulation, endocytotic activity, and protein insertion. So many cells, particularly those involved in biosignaling processes, can up or down regulate the number of specific cellular receptors on their surface in order to meet cellular requirements. So then we'll talk about the components of the membrane. So the cell membrane is composed predominantly of lipids with some associated proteins and carbs. Uh, there are steroid molecules, cholesterol, phospholipid bilayer, uh, very free fatty acids, very few free fatty acids. Uh, there's fluidity in the membrane due to the steroid molecules and cholesterol and waxes that provide membrane stability to help maintain the structural integrity of the cell. There's fatty acids, which are carboxylic acids that contain the hydrocarbon chain and terminal carboxyl group. Triacylglycerols are referred to as triglycerides, and there are storage lipids involved in human metabolic processes, and they contain fat three fatty acid chains esterified to a glycerol molecule. They can be saturated or unsaturated. Unsaturated are healthier because they tend to have one or more double bonds and exist in liquid form at room temperature in the plasma membrane, and these are going to impart fluidity. Uh, and then the humans can only synthesize a few of them. The rest come from essential fatty acids in the diet that are transported as triacylglycerols from the intestine inside chylomicrons. So alpha-linolenic acid and linoleic acid are two important ones. Saturated fatty acids are the main components of animal fats, and they tend to exist as solids at room temperature, and they're found in processed foods and less healthy and they decrease the overall membrane fluidity. Then uh, there is a glycerophospholipid, which is commonly called a phospholipid. It has a substituting one of the fatty acid chains of the triacylglycerol with a phosphate group and a polar head group that joins the nonpolar tails. They can spontaneously assemble into micelles, which are small monolayer vesicles, or liposomes, which are bilayered vesicles due to hydrophobic interactions. They're used for membrane synthesis and can produce a hydrophilic uh, surface layer on lipoproteins like very low-density lipoprotein, which is a lipid transporter. 
They're the primary component of cell membranes, and they serve not only structural roles, but also as like a messengers and signal transduction, so they also provide an attachment point for water-soluble groups like choline or inositol. Then there are sphingolipids. Uh, they're important constituents of cell membranes. They don't have glycerol, but they are similar in structure to them, uh, and they, the fact that they have an eutrophilic region and two fatty acid-derived hydrophobic tails. Uh, there are different classes, so there's ceramides, sphingomyelins, cerebrocytes, and gangliosides. Cholesterol is associated with a number of negative health effects and receives a lot of negative press, but it's very important. It regulates membrane fluidity, but it's necessary in the synthesis of all steroids, which are derived from cholesterol. Uh, they have a, both a hydrophilic and hydrophobic region. Membrane stability is derived from interactions with both the hydrophilic and hydrophobic regions that make up the phospholipid bilayer. While cholesterol stabilizes adjacent phospholipids, it also occupies space between them, which prevents the formation of crystal structures in the membrane, increasing fluidity at lower temperatures. And at high temperatures, cholesterol has the opposite effect, so by limiting movement of phospholipids within the bilayer, it decreases fluidity and helps hold the membrane intact. So by mass, it composes about 20% of the cell membrane, and by mole fractions, it makes it about half. So the large ratio of cholesterol to phospholipid ensures that the membrane remains fluid. Then there are waxes, which are a class of lipids that are extremely hydrophobic and rarely found in the cell membranes of animals, but they're sometimes in the cell membranes of plants. A wax is composed of a long-chain fatty acid and a long-chain alcohol, which contribute to the high melting point of these substances, and when present, they can provide both stability and rigidity within the non-polar tail region only. And they usually serve an extracellular function in protection or waterproofing. The fluid mosaic model also accounts for the presence of three types of membrane proteins. So transmembrane proteins pass completely through the lipid bilayer. Embedded proteins are associated with only the interior, so cytoplasmic or exterior extracellular surface of the cell membrane. And together, transmembrane and embedded proteins are called integral because of their association with the interior of the plasma membrane, which is usually assisted by one or more membrane-associated domains that are partially hydrophobic. And membrane-associated or peripheral proteins may be bound through electrostatic interactions with the lipid bilayer, especially at lipid rafts, or to other transmembrane or embedded proteins like the G proteins. And then there are transporters, channels, and receptors, which are generally transmembrane proteins. Carbohydrates are generally attached to protein molecules on the extracellular surface. Uh, they're hydrophilic, so their interactions with, between glycoproteins and water can form a coat around the cell. They act, can act as signaling and recognition molecules. Um, and then there are transporters for facilit facilitated diffusion and active transporters, which can be activated or deactivated by membrane receptors, which tend to be transmembrane proteins. Uh, they're generally proteins, but some are carbohydrate and lipid receptors, especially in viruses. So cells within tissues can form a cohesive layer via intercellular junctions, which provide direct pathways of communication between neighboring cells or between cells in the extracellular matrix. So cell-to-cell -cell junctions are generally comprised of cell adhesion molecules, which are proteins that allow cells to recognize each other and contribute to proper cell differentiation and development. Gap junctions allow for direct cell-to-cell -cell communication and are often found in small bunches together. Gap junctions are called connexons and are formed by the alignment and interaction of, pro of pores composed of six molecules of connexin. They permit movement of water and some solutes directly between cells, and proteins are generally not transferred through gap junctions. Tight junctions prevent solutes from leaking into the space between cells via a paracellular route. They're found in epithelial cells and they function as a physical link between the cells as they form a single as, a, as they form a single layer of tissue. Tight junctions can limit permeability enough to create a trans-epithelial voltage difference based on differing concentrations of ions on either side of the epithelium. So to be effective, they have to form a continuous band around the cell, otherwise fluid could possibly leak through spaces between tight junctions. And then there are finally desmosomes. They bind adjacent cells by anchoring 
to their skeletons. They're formed by interactions between transmembrane proteins associated with intermediate filaments inside adjacent cells. They're primarily found at the interface between two layers of epithelial tissue, so hemidesmosomes have a similar function, but their main function is to attach epithelial cells to underlying structures, especially the basement membrane. Our next topic is membrane transport. So there are concentration gradients. Uh, they can be active or passive transport processes depending on the thermodynamics. So spontaneous processes that do not require energy proceed through passive transport, while those that are non-spontaneous and require energy proceed through active transport. Uh, passive transport processes start with simple diffusion. So substrates move down their concentration gradient directly across the membrane, and only particles that are freely permeable to the membrane are able to undergo simple diffusion. There's potential energy in a chemical gradient, so some of this energy is dissipated as the gradient is utilized during simple diffusion. Then there's osmosis. It's a specific kind of simple diffusion that concerns water. So water will move from a region of lower solute concentration to one of higher solute concentration. It will move from a region of higher water concentration or more dilute solute solution down its gradient to a region of lower water concentration or more concentrated solution. And osmosis is really important in a lot of places, like when the solute itself is impermeable to the membrane. So water will move to try to bring solute concentrations to equimolarity. If the, if the concentration of solutes inside the cell is higher than the surrounding solution, the solution is said to be hypotonic, and it will cause the cell to swell as water rushes in, sometimes to the point of bursting or lysing. A solution that is more concentrated than the cell is termed a hypertonic solution, and water will move out of the cell. And uh, if the solutions inside and outside are equimolar, they are said to be isotonic. So isotonicity does not prevent movement, but it prevents the net movement of particles, and water molecules will continue to move, but the cell will neither gain or lose water overall. So osmotic pressure is a colligative property. Uh, it's, so one way of quantifying the driving force between osmosis is osmotic pressure. Um, it's a physical property of solutions that is dependent on the concentration of dissolved particles, but not on the chemical identity of those dissolved particles. So other colligative properties include vapor pressure depression, or Ralph's law, boiling point elevation, and freezing point depression. So let's think about uh, osmotic pressure. So because the solute cannot pass through a given membrane, the concentrations of solute in the two compartments can never be equal. However, hydrostatic pressure exerted by the water level in the solute containing compartment will eventually oppose the influx of water, so the water level will only rise to the point at which it exerts a sufficient pressure to counterbalance the tendency of water to flow across the membrane. This pressure is defined as the osmotic pressure, and it's given by the formula IMRT. M is molarity of the solution, R is the ideal gas constant, T is the absolute temperature in kelvins, and I is the van Hoff factor, which is simply the number of particles obtained from the molecule when in solution. So osmotic pressure depends only on the presence and number of particles in solution, but not the actual identity. And in cells, osmotic pressure is maintained against the cell membrane rather than the force of gravity. If osmotic pressure created by the solutes within a cell exceeds the pressure that the cell membrane can withstand, then the cell will lyse. And generally, it's best thought as a sucking pressure drawing water into the cell in proportion to the concentration of the solution. Then we have facilitated diffusion. It's simple diffusion from molecules that are impermeable to the membrane, so large, polar, or charged. The energy barrier is too high for these molecules to cross freely, so it requires integral membrane proteins to serve as transporters or channels for these substances. The classic examples involve a carrier or channel protein, so carriers are only open to one side of the cell membrane at any given point, and this, and this is like a revolving door. And then binding of the substrate molecule to the transporter protein induces a conformational change, so for a brief time the carrier is in the occluded state, in which the carrier is not open to either side of the phospholipid bilayer. In addition to carriers, channels are also viable transporters for facilitated diffusion. They may be in an open or closed conformation. When they're open, it's exposed to both sides and they act like a tunnel and they permit more rapid transport kinetics. And then 
Active transport results in the net movement of a solute against its concentration gradient, like a rolling a ball uphill. It always requires energy, but the source of this can vary. Primary active transport uses ATP uh, or another source of or another energy molecule to directly power the transport of molecules across a membrane, and it involves the use of a transmembrane ATPase generally. Secondary active transport or coupled transport uses energy to transport particles across the membrane, but in contrast, there is no direct coupling to ATP hydrolysis. So instead, active transport harnesses the energy released by one particle going down its electrochemical gradient to drive a different particle up its gradient. When both particles flow the same direction across the membrane, it's called symport, and when they are flowing in opposite directions, it's called antiport. Uh, and then finally, we'll talk about um, endocytosis and exocytosis. So endocytosis occurs when the cell membrane invaginates and engulfs material to bring it into the cell. The material is encased in a vesicle, which is important because cells will sometimes ingest toxic, toxic substances. Pinocytosis is the endocytosis of fluids and dissolved particles, whereas phagocytosis is the ingestion of large solids like bacteria. Substrate binding to specific receptors embedded within the plasma membrane will initiate the process of endocytosis, and invagination will then be initiated and carried out by vesicle protein coating proteins, most notably clathrin. And then exocytosis occurs when secretory vesicles fuse with the membrane, releasing material from inside the cell to the extracellular environment. And it's important in the nervous system and intracellular, intracellular signaling. And then I think the last thing that we're going to talk about are specialized membranes. So first of all, there is uh, membrane potential. So the impermeability of the cell membrane to ions and, and the selectivity of ion channels both lead to an electrochemical gradient between the exterior and interior of cells. The difference in the electrical potential across cell membranes is called the membrane potential. The resting potential for most cells is between negative 40 and negative 80 millivolts, although the potential can rise as high as positive 35 during depolarization of the cell. Maintaining membrane potential requires energy because ions may passively diffuse through the cell membrane over time using leak channels, and therefore an ion transporter or pump like the sodium-potassium pump requires regulates the concentration of intracellular and extracellular sodium and potassium ions. Chloride ions also participate in establishing membrane potential. The Nernst equation can be used to determine the membrane potential from the intra- and extracellular concentrations of the various ions, where R is ideal gas constant, T is temperature in kelvins, Z is charge of the ion, and F is the Faraday constant, which is 96,485 coulombs over moles of electrons. And the equation is um, 61.5 over Z times log of ion inside con ion outside concentration, and ion inside concentration is the denominator. So the simplification is 61.5, and the numerator assumes body temperature 310 Kelvin. The Goldman-Hodgkin-Katz voltage equation follows from the Nernst equation, taking into account relative contribution of each major ion to the membrane potential. So it's equal to 61.5 log times P of Na times Na concentration outside plus P of K times K plus outside plus P of Cl minus times Cl minus inside concentration over P of Na times Na plus inside concentration plus P of K times K plus inside concentration and plus P of Cl minus times Cl minus outside concentration. <coughs> and P is the permeability for development ion. Ooh, sorry. Let me take a quick drink. Okay. So then there's a steady state resting relationship between the ion diffusion and the sodium potassium ATPase. One of the main functions is to maintain a low concentration of sodium ions and high concentration of potassium ions intracellularly by pumping three sodium ions out for every two potassium ions pumped in. This movement of ions removes one positive charge from the intracellular space of the cell, which maintains the negative resting potential of the cell. As mentioned before, the cell membrane also contains leak channels that allow ions like sodium and potassium to passively diffuse into or out of the cell down their concentration gradients. Cell membranes are more permeable to 
potassium ions than sodium ions at rest because there are more potassium leak channels than sodium leak channels, and the combination of the pump activity and leak channels together maintain a stable resting membrane potential. Mitochondria are referred to as the powerhouse of the cell because of their ability to produce ATP by oxidative respiration. They have two membranes. The outer mitochondrial membrane is highly permeable due to many large pores that allow the passage of ions and small proteins. The outer membrane completely surrounds the inner mitochondrial membrane which, with the presence of a small intermembrane space in between the two layers. The inner mitochondrial membrane has a much more restricted permeability. Uh, structurally, the inner mitochondrial membrane contains numerous infoldings known as cristae, which increase the surface area available for integral proteins associated with the membrane. And these proteins uh, are involved in the electron transport chain and ATP synthesis. The inner membrane also encloses the mitochondrial matrix, where the citric acid cycle produces high-energy electron carriers used in the electron transport chain. The inner mitochondrial membrane contains a very high level of cardiolipin and does not contain cholesterol. And then finally, I think we will go over our concept summary. So the fluid mosaic model accounts for the presence of lipids, proteins, and carbohydrates in a dynamic semi-solid plasma membrane that surrounds cells. The plasma membrane contains proteins embedded within the phospholipid bilayer. The membrane is not static. Lipids move freely in the plane of the membrane and can assemble into lipid rafts. Footbases are specific membrane proteins that maintain the bidirectional transport of lipids between the layers of the phospholipid bilayer in cells, and proteins and carbohydrates may also move within the membrane but are flowed by their relatively large size. Lipids are the primary membrane component, both by mass and mole fraction, so triacylglycerols and free fatty acids act as phospholipid precursors and are found in low levels in the membrane. Glycerol phospholipids replace one fatty acid with the phosphate group, which is often linked to other hydrophilic groups. Cholesterol is present in large amounts and it contributes to membrane fluidity and stability. Proxies are present in very small amounts, and, and if at all, they are most prevalent in plants and function in waterproofing and defense. And proteins located within the cell membrane act as transporters, cell adhesion molecules, and enzymes. Transmembrane proteins can have one or more hydrophobic domains and are most likely to function uh, as receptors or channels. Embedded proteins are most likely part of a catalytic complex or involved in cellular communication. And membrane-associated proteins may act as recognition molecules or enzymes. And carbohydrates can form a protective glycoprotein coat and function in cell recognition. And extracellular ligands can bind to membrane receptors, which function as channels or enzymes in second messenger pathways. And then cell-to-cell -cell junctions will regulate transport intracellularly and intercellularly. Gap junctions allow for the rapid exchange of ions and other small molecules between adjacent cells. Uh, tight junctions prevent paracellular transport but do not provide intercellular transport. Desmosomes and hem hemidesmosomes anchor layers of epithelial tissue together. Concentration gradients help to determine appropriate membrane transport mechanisms in the cell. Osmotic pressure is a colligated property, and it's the pressure applied to a pure solvent to prevent osmosis and is used to express the concentration of the solution. So it's often better conceptualized as a sucking pressure in which a solution is drawing water in proportional to its concentration. Passive transport does not require energy because the molecule is moving down its concentration gradient or from an area with higher concentration to an area with lower concentration. Simple diffusion does not require a transporter, and small nonpolar molecules passively move from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration until equilibrium is achieved. Osmosis describes the diffusion of water across a selectively permeable membrane. Facilitated diffusion uses transport proteins to move impermeable solutes across the cell membrane. Active transport requires energy in the form of ATP or an existing favorable ion gradient. Active transport may be primary or secondary depending on the energy source, and secondary active transport may be further classified as symport or antiport. And then Endocytosis and exocytosis are methods of engulfing material into cells or releasing material to the exterior of cells, both via the cell membrane. Pinocytosis is the ingestion of liquid into the cell and vesicles formed from the cell membrane, and phagocytosis is the ingestion of larger solid molecules. The composition of cell membranes is fairly consistent, however, there are some cells that contain specialized membranes. 
Membrane potential is maintained by the potassium sodium pump and leak channels, so the electrical potential created by one ion can be calculated using the Nernst equation. The resting potential of a membrane at physiological temperature can be calculated using the Goldman-Hodgkin-Katz voltage equation, which is derived from the Nernst equation. And the mitochondrial membrane differs from the cell membrane because the outer mitochondrial membrane is highly permeable to metabolic molecules and small proteins, whereas the inner mitochondrial membrane surrounds the mitochondrial matrix and where, where the citric acid cycle produces electrons used in the electron transport chain and where many other enzymes important in cellular respiration are located. And the inter inner mitochondrial membrane does not contain cholesterol. Whoosh. Okay, so next we'll talk about the carbohydrate metabolism, part one. Uh, and then there'll be a part two, and then I think the last couple of chapters are just on uh, lipid and amino acid metabolism and some bioenergetic stuff. So, see ya!